Is there anybody here today that knows Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Praise the Lord. You know, you have no idea how many people there are out there. You know, the king told us to be led by the Spirit, didn't he? You know what it means to be led by the Spirit? You do what he says instead of what you want to do. I had an experience yesterday I've got to tell you about. Yesterday, I was I had planned to go out to the airport to do something yesterday morning. And, uh, in fact, I was going to wash an airplane is what I was going to do. And then I woke up yesterday morning and went outside, and it was 45 degrees or 40 degrees, and the wind was blowing pretty hard. So I thought, you know, I have all these radio shows to make, so I could stay in here in my office where it's nice and warm. And make these radio shows because I got to do it sometime, you know. Because I, I mean, my radio shows run out the eighth of this month, which is next Thursday. Now I realize if you've never had this chore to keep fifteen, a different fifteen-minute radio show on about fifteen radio stations and uh, a thirty-minute uh, television program every day, five days a week on the air. If you ain't never done that, you ain't lived, you know. That's really lots of fun. That'll keep you in the Word, and that'll keep you hopping. So, anyway, it's got to be done. So, anyway, I thought, well, I'll rationalize this, and I'll just, I won't go to the airport. So, I go in my office, and I'll start working. And all of a sudden, the Lord laid on my heart. I didn't hear an audible voice. But the king says, you need to go to the airport. I thought, Lord, I, I, I said, what do I need to go out there for? And then the thought came to me, you know, that you're looking for an instrument, you know, a new gyro for the 150, and you're not sure whether it's a three and an eighth or bigger hole. And I thought, I can check that Monday. That's not a big deal. But the thought kept coming. You need to go. I thought, okay, 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 okay. So I just closed down my radio shows and went and got my truck and drove out to the airport. Drove out to the airport, drove up the little airplane, looked at it, measured it, three and an eighth, okay, no problem. So then a thought says you need to come drive on around to where the big airplane's at. Well, why in the world? I need to drive around there. But I thought, okay, I'm listening. So I drive around there, and when I get around there, I thought when I pull up, there's a great big long trailer with a truck pulled right across my driveway. And I thought, you know, it's a good thing I didn't come out here. I couldn't have got this thing out to wash it today anyway. You know, so I said, I wonder what those guys are doing. So I pulled up there, two of them. I got out and I said, oh, he had his hanger open and he was pulling a great big old fire engine out of there that was going to try to hoist it up on that big trailer. I said, what are you guys doing? He said, well, I said, that sure is an old fire wagon. He said, yeah, it's same age I am. It's old as I am. It was born in 41. I thought, okay, that's not as old as I am, but okay. I thought, okay. And I said, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to restore it? He said, no, that's what I was going to do. I was going to restore it, but he said, the last few days I had a wake-up call. I had a heart attack. And he said, I think he said his girlfriend. He said, my girlfriend told me, he said, what if you would have died? What do you do with all these toys that you got that nobody knows where they are? said, your kids don't want them. I thought, okay, so I hope he was married one time. But his kids don't want them. 
And uh, what are you going to do with this stuff? So he said, I decided to start getting rid of some of this stuff. I said, yeah, you really had a wake-up call. You really had a wake-up call. I said, you're still alive. I said, if you had a dad, not even being concerned about these toys, but if you'd have died, would you went to heaven or hell? That's the only thing that's important. He said, nobody can know that. I said, oh, yes, you can. I said, the king wrote a book. And he told us in this book that if we would confess with this mouth and believe with this heart that the Father raised Him from the dead, we can be assured that we have eternal life and we can live with the King whenever we leave this earth. And the other young man, which I'm assuming he was about in his 40s, he was kind of shaking his head a little. I said, you believe that, don't you, son? He said, yes, sir, I believe that. I said, well, this man here, he doesn't. I said, sir, you need to really think about this. I said, you know, you can die anytime. He said, I guess I could die like the guy that owns that airplane right there. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, that airplane right there, I understand that guy died. I said, no, that guy that owns that airplane right there, it's me. <laughs> I said, I'm still very much alive and what? He said, I understood he died. I said, no, no, the little airplane that used to be in there, there was a little musketeer, and I said, that guy died seven years ago. And that airplane's been sitting right there. His widow didn't have a clue what to do with it. She knew nothing about airplanes. She'd just been paying a hanger in on it all these years. And finally, the other day in their estate, they decided to sell the estate, so they sold the airplane. I said, I'll talk to the young man that bought it. I said, then after he moved it out, that's when I put mine up here. I said, I rented that. I said, that airplane's sitting right there. That belongs to me. But I said, this guy right here, I own that, and I know what I'm talking about. And I said, I'm not dead, and I still fly. And I said, I'm older than your car and older than you. And I said, I haven't had a heart attack yet, praise God, and I'm not going to have one. But I said, the king is in control. And I said, he loves you, and he wants you to come to heaven. And I said, he sent me out here today specifically to give you another chance to come into the kingdom of God and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I said, what are you going to do about it? He said, well, I don't know right now. I don't know. I said, well, think about it. Think seriously about it. And so, of course, as I, he said, do you want us to move so you can get that airplane out? I said, no, I ain't going nowhere. I'm going to wait and do it Monday. I said, I have no need to get it out. I said, but now I know why the Lord sent me out here. I said, I wasn't coming today, but the Lord told me to come out here. Now I know why. I said, he gave you a wake-up call. You had a heart attack. You almost died, but God loves you so much, He gives you one more chance to accept Him as Lord and Savior. I said, that's how much the King loves us. He gives us these wake-up calls. You know, you can take a great big old healthy guy, 65 years old, you know, that can do anything, go anywhere, got money in the bank, got his toys he wants to play with. Who needs God? Right? That's what we think. Who needs God? But boy, you big and strong working on this stuff, doing everything, and all of a sudden one day, <coughs> <coughs> uh, uh, and you can't even pick yourself up. All of a sudden, you need the king. And you realize you need the king. Because you know how easy it is for God to take you out? Some people, they don't give them another chance. 
Some people He's already given chance after chance after chance. I don't believe God takes anybody out without giving them several chances. I believe He sends you to the right place. I believe He sends you to people. I believe He puts people in your path. Just like we read in the book of Job the other day in chapter 33, when Elihu said, and God warns us, He speaks to us again and again, and we don't listen. I was one of those voices that God sent to this man. How many times has He done that to you? If you've listened, He's used you too. You know, of course, sometimes you rationalize this like, ah, that, you know, this is just a thought. No, this is being led by the Spirit of the living God. When the Spirit of the living God is calling you, if He's putting something on your heart, thoughts keep coming to your mind. You may not know what He's going to do, but just like He told Abraham. He said, Abraham, go into a far country. I'll show you. You talk about some faith. I mean, back in those days, all they had was camels, you know, and there wasn't no 7-Elevens out there to stop and buy something to eat or get no gas or nothing else. You're just heading across the country. I'm telling you, it takes faith. I mean, today, I mean, I hate to say it, folks, but we're a bunch of wimps today, you know. I mean, compared to the old folks, I mean, the generation that's alive today is a wimp compared to me. I mean, the generation I was raised up in, we was a working bunch. You know, but my, I was a wimp compared to my dad. Every generation seems to get softer. Y'all know what I mean? Some of you may have dads, you know, that, I mean, they got up early in the morning, worked all day long, night and day, you know, just kept on going. And whenever something hit, nothing could put them down. Nothing. I remember when my dad had his heart attack. He was old, but he had a heart attack. And we got a cell phone going off somewhere. I don't know where it's at, but you need to need to turn it off. But <clears throat> but anyway, when my dad had his heart attack, I remember when I went over to the doctor's office. I knew he was tough, but the doctor said I have put enough morphine in him to take care of a man with two broken arms. But he said your dad never complained. He never said he was in pain, but he said the way his body was gnarled with that pain, I knew I kept putting morphine in him until he finally began to relax. He said, I thought, my land, how much pain this body is in, but yet this man's not saying nothing. But yet you come all the way down to my daughter. Time we go from granddad to dad to my daughter. My daughter could cut her finger, and you thought she was dying, <laughs> screaming. And some of you today, a little tiny pain somewhere, and you can't handle it. You're a wimp, <laughs> just like me. Well, I think it's time we stop being wimps. I think it's time we become powerful men and women of God and obey the King and do what He says. Now then, does anybody have a testimony you want to give before we get into the message? We got one right over here. What do we do with my mics? They're all gone. Oh, here they are over here. Okay, praise the king. Well, some of you women are going to laugh when I talk about how addicted you can be to your soap operas. 
And the other day at work, there's a, another lady that works with me, and she always comes by the first of every month and gives us a praise calendar and everything. And because, you know, we've talked before about Christ and everything, I gave her, I turned her on to one of the sermons taped the other day. And she says that she even missed her soap opera and all she could do while she's sitting there working with going, Woo! Woo! <laughs> and she said, oh, so she was spreading it out to all the other people. And you have to realize I work in an office of about four or 500 people. So I'm like dropping these things in the middle of all these groups. So hopefully they'll all spread out. But she says, man, he just speaks the word, and you got to get a hold of this. And she said, I couldn't even turn on my soap opera. I was so into this. I had to keep going. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Oh, goodness. My sweetheart's got one. God is awesome. He is so fabulous. I, uh, Kathy that works for us, her daughter Caitlin's nine, and she had wanted some shoe skates. And she helped stuff the CDs and DVDs. So, you know, I said, well, I'll get you some shoe skates. So I got on eBay, found the shoe skates, went through it with her, let her pick out the ones she wanted. They were fourteen ninety five. So they said our best offer. So I sent the man a best offer of $10. And I wrote in there, this is for one of um, the single women, her daughter, nine-year-old daughter, that works here in our ministry center. And I said, thank you for the consideration, blessings in Christ, which is what I always sign. And so they wrote back, and they, and they gave me a best offer of eleven ninety five. So I bought it. I paid that, and the shipping was $16, and so twenty seven ninety five. Well, then all of a sudden, I get an email that says I've been refunded twenty seven ninety five. I said, well, I don't understand this. So I read a little, I get another email, and it says, we're sending you the skates. And I, so I wrote back and I said, why are you giving me my money back and sending me the skates? Then they wrote me another email and they said, my husband's in the seminary and this eBay business is how we make our living. And she said, we just want to bless this little girl. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Isn't Jesus awesome? He is beyond our wildest dreams. His arm is not any shorter than it used to be. Praise the King. He can do great things, Katie Tom. He sure can. Praise the King. I'm not going to hold your hand. Praise God. Uh, out where I work, uh, there's a little Spanish lady, and uh, she's about four and a half months pregnant, but you can, you can never tell. So the word got around, and I asked her, you know, and, and uh, she said yes. She said but when I went to the doctor, the doctor took an ultrasound, and the heart is not quite in the position that it should be, and it wasn't beating regularly. They were a little bit concerned. And she said, would you pray for me? I said, yes, I will. So I walked away, and I went back to where I work, and something told me, you got to do this. So I did. I said, Lord, you told me. That if I remained in you and you remain and your word remained in me, I could ask for anything that I want and you'll give it to me. Amen. So I said, would you put your hand on that baby, heal that heart, and I know you will, and I thank you for it, and it's done. Amen. That was a Thursday. Monday she came back to work, and she, I said, how are you doing? She said, I went to the doctor. They took an ultrasound. The heart's perfect. It's beating regularly. 
and everything is fine. Hey. I had joy that whole day. <laughs> what do you mean just a whole day? That day. Amen. We're supposed to have joy. Yeah, but it does. When you, when you pray and you see God answer like that, you do walk about four feet off the floor. I praise the King and thank Him and worship Him for all the things He does. Just think. As you learn these principles, that you can pray, and if you pray in faith, these things are available to you as a son of God, a daughter of God. You know, all you got to do is obey the king. Obey. Now, see, that's where we've missed it. We've been taught this little scenario, you know, we're saved by grace, and God doesn't mind if you do a little sin. You know, you can just hold a little unforgiveness here or... You can just hold a little hatred over here, or you can steal a little over here, or you can lie a little over here, or you can just commit a little fornication or adultery once in a while, and God don't mind. That's the biggest lie of the devil. You know, you can't get your prayers answered when you're like that. So, if you learn the truth that God expects you when you get saved to stop sinning, to walk holy in His presence. And do what he says. Then, just like Tom said there, if his words remain in you, and if you remain in him, then after all those ifs, then you can come and ask the king for anything. And he'll do it. And it was no more difficult for God, for that little Spanish lady that's four and a half months pregnant, that's having the problem with the baby. It's no more difficult for him to put that little heart and make it perfect than it was the day that I prayed for the Spanish lady and had the arm burned. And overnight, he healed the arm totally, completely. I mean, see, that's something that was inside that a doctor confirmed. When I prayed for that Spanish lady that day that burned her arm, I mean, burned it just terrible. When I went down and stood beside her and prayed and quoted the Word of God, the next morning, of course, her pain left instantly, but the next morning, an arm that was burned severely didn't have a mark on it overnight. And don't we serve an awesome God? All we got to do is believe Him. You know, nothing's impossible with Him. Did uh, Rosemary, did you have a testimony you wanted to give? Okay, I didn't know. Did I miss anybody? You got one? Come up here. Praise the King. Let's give Him the glory. If He's done something, this is His church. <laughs> okay, praise God. My name is Ida Kelly. And I have some relatives here today that's going to be shocked at what I'm about to say. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Because Thurman uh, had prayed for me, and Gloria Freeman is my daughter. She's prayed for me, and uh, the doctor told me that I had cancer, breast cancer. And I, um, I, Gloria prayed, Thurman prayed. Then, you know, <clears throat> just a few people knew. So I let the other people pressure me into going to have surgery. So I went and I had the surgery, and all the tests came back negative. I didn't have any cancer. But then, this arm, see, I can turn it. I could raise it up, but I couldn't move it. So I came back, and Thurman prayed for me again. And now I can move my arm. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm cancer-free. And I thank God. Amen. Thank the Lord. Praise the King. Glory to God. Oh. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we praise you and thank you and worship you for the answering of these prayers, Lord. 
That, you, you got a testimony? Or just got your hand up praising the king? Okay, glory. If anybody else got another one, we don't want to cut God short. That's an awesome testimony there. You know, isn't it amazing? Now, just think about what she just said. Just think. Here, she comes for prayer. And we pray. I pray. Her daughter prays. We, maybe some others pray. We pray in faith. And God hears. And He does it. And then other people that their faith is not there, they'll pressure you. You better go to the doctor. Well, see, she had the best doctor in the world, didn't she? The best doctor in the world. He fixed her and then goes in and have the surgery, spends all that money, and then the arm don't work after they do the surgery. Isn't it amazing? Aren't we glad God's merciful that we come back even after we've done that? We come back and we pray again and now the arm works. I am so grateful to see God do these mighty things for His people. Wow! Praise the King. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we're, we serve you. Okay, now then let's go to the Word. If, I, if we don't have any more testimonies, that's all of them. Let's go to the Word. Let's open our Bible, and I'm going to go to the book of Jude today. I was thinking, I was praying over this, and uh, I was going to teach out of the book of Revelation today, but the Lord kept leading me back just a little bit further before a book of Revelation, and He kept putting me in the book of Jude. Now, we're going to start not in the uh, very uh, beginning of this book, but almost. About verse 3 is where we're going to start. And he's giving us a warning here about false teachers. Now, let me tell you, I got an email the other day from a lady. I say a lady. I think it was a lady. It might have been a man. I don't remember. But let's just say I got an email the other day. I got an email that says, you know, you're teaching a lie. You are deceiving the people. You are seducing them with things that don't work. These healings and these miracles you talk about, we know those are not real. Those are just things you made up. Isn't that amazing? People don't believe God. And we're, we're going to talk about some of these kind of people, unfortunately. Now, I don't know where this person is coming from. But I do know that what I'm teaching is not a lie. I know it's the written Word of the living God. And another thing that I know, that these miracles, I have had many of them, or healings and miracles, I've had them myself. And I've heard His voice many times. And when people tell me, God don't talk to us today, He don't do those kind of things anymore, you got to me too late. I've heard His voice too many times. And some of you in here have heard His voice too. All of you heard Him in the Spirit. You might not have recognized the fact because you haven't trained yourself to listen to the Spirit of God. In fact, I, I read a book one time about a man that had taught a young man how to listen to his spirit. The Holy Spirit speak to his spirit. And this man said, this young man, after learning to listen to the spirit, he got involved in financial affairs of the world and the young man made 
millions of dollars. And in the millions he made, he spent so much time with God, he spent all day with God in the Word, reading and worshiping and praising. Then he'd say, Lord, now I'm going to go over here to the stock market and I want you to reveal to me what I need to do so I can make great amounts of money so I can use it to further your ministries in this world. And the young man would spend all day with God. Then he'd spend a few minutes in the stock market and he literally made millions of dollars. And guess what he did with it? He used it for the glory of God. See, God says in His Word, we go all the way back to Deuteronomy, He says, I am the one that gives you the power to get wealth. A lot of people quote that, but they don't quote the rest of it. To further my kingdom on the earth. Why does He give you all this money? To further His kingdom. Does He give you all this money so you can live in a million dollar house? Drive a car? Not really. If He wants you to have one of those, you can have it. I don't think there's a problem if God gave you a hundred million dollars and you wanted to keep a couple of million of it to spend on things or toys for yourself. I don't think God would mind as long as you used the majority of it. I know a man, some of you know him, that... One of his gifts, one of his... And of course, I realize a lot of people don't believe we have to tithe today. You don't have to do nothing but die. And if you don't do things, you will die, I guarantee you. But this man's desire was, he was one of the most wonderfully trained electrical engineers that ever hit this this country. And he says... I'm going to give 90% to God and I'm going to live on 10. This man became one of the most powerful, dirt-moving engineers in the electrical field that there is. He built some equipment that literally will move mountains. And when he died, he left a legacy behind that was just out of this world. Schools, money, Money in places that would carry on for centuries probably. And he died giving 90% to God and keeping 10% and he still had millions for himself. How would you like to live like that? Anybody know who I'm talking about? You do, don't you? R.G. Letourneau. Absolutely. Great man of God. Now then... If you have a desire to serve the king and do great and awesome things for you, for him, he will bless your socks off. That's a term I use. I like to have my socks blessed off. I like to be able to walk around the ministry center barefoot. I like to, for the Lord to give us so many things that we, we're so blessed. But he promises it. And what do we do with everything he gives us? We use it for His glory. We give it all. Now then, false teachers. False teachers will tell you things that doesn't line up with the Word. They'll tell you things that they think they know, but this is why you have to check it against the Word. Dearly loved friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. This is what Jude wanted to write. But he says there's something much more important. But now, 
I find that I must write to you about something else, urging you to defend the truth of the good news. Defend the truth of the good news. The truth. Jesus is the Savior. He's the only way to have eternal life. He's the only way you can go to heaven. There is no way you can get to heaven except through the Son, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's people out there that will tell you, oh yeah, you can get there, you know. I mean, God, He's not that kind of an old fogey guy. You know, only the Christians are not the only ones going to heaven. Well, I'm going to say only those Christians that really believe in Jesus are going to go to heaven. There's a lot of people say they're Christians, but they ain't going to heaven. You know, that, that, isn't that sad? You see people say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, do you go to church? Well, no, I hadn't found me one yet. I just moved down here. How long ago? Only 15 years ago. <laughs> and you ain't found you a church yet? Hey, if you're a really a daughter or a son of God, you move somewhere the first next Sunday after you get your house put in order. What's the first thing you should be doing? Praying, looking for you a place to meet. Go find you some believers somewhere. You know, if it's a new area, pray and ask God, and then go to four, five, six, eight, ten churches, whatever. You know, learn what they teach in the area. But now that I find must write to you something, I'm urging you to defend the truth of the good news. God gave this unchanging truth once for all to His holy people. So what's written in this book? He gave it to us once and for all, and it ain't never going to change. Now, another thing, too, I've caught a lot of flack about lately is they say, I'm getting out of the King James, which is the only authorized version in any other book you read out of. If you read it, you're going to hell. Okay? I ain't going to hell, and I am reading out of some other translations. But I've come to realize I don't just study out of one. I don't just read out of the King James. I don't just read out of the NLT. I don't just read out of the Amplified. I don't just read out of the New American Standard. I don't just read out of the Living Bible or the King James, or the New King James, I read them all. Now, I'm just smart enough to know by the Holy Spirit that if I read six or eight different Bibles, and they all say in the same verse the same thing, there ain't a problem. Now, if I come to a place where they've left out a verse or two, or they've totally changed what it says, then i got a problem with that. But if I'm reading all of them, I will not be led astray. Now, I read this message here out of the NLT so clearly several times over, and I read it also in the King James and the New King James. And they all say the same thing. I will have to say in the NLT, it's really a lot easier for you to get it. It's so easy, but it says exactly the same thing. So, if you're listening to this tape later down the line, and you don't agree with anything but the King James, don't write me a letter to tell me I'm going to hell, because I'm not going to hell. You know, I'm sorry, but I got it. I'm covered in the blood. I'm walking obedience to the Word, and I'm reading them all. But today I happen to be reading out of the NLT. Now then, I say this because some godless people have wormed their way in among you. And where are these guys at? They're in the church. They're in the seminaries. They've wormed their way in, saying that, God's forgiveness allows us to live immoral lives. Oh, how many times have you heard that? Oh, I, Mom, don't worry about me. You know, I got saved down that little Baptist church when I was 15. 
God washed away all my sins. Yeah, I realize I'm 25 now and I'm living with this girl out of wedlock and I ain't going to church no more. But I'm okay, Mom. Don't worry about me. If I die, I'm going to heaven. No, that's not what the Word just says. You can't live in an immoral life and go to heaven. Somebody lied to you. Somebody told you, once saved, saved by grace, once saved, always saved. Now, you can go out there and stumble and fall and live like you want to, and when you die, you get to go to heaven. Well, I'll tell you what you will get to do. If you get out there and you do live in that immoral life, which is what somebody, these people have weaseled their way in among us and teaching us that you can live those immoral lives, if you get out there and start living in that immoral life and you do die in that immoral life, you're going to find out you're going to bust hell wide open. Isn't that something? Go see, Corinthians, Galatians, all over the place, he said anybody that lives this kind of lifestyle, he didn't name just the immoral sexual sins that he's talking about right here. He says if you're a liar, a drunkard, a covetous person, if you're any of these things, i tell you, as I've told you before, I'm telling you again in Galatians chapter 5, people that live like this shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's scary, isn't it? I mean, anybody that goes to church ever heard this message? I mean, it ought, if, if somebody, say you're very covetousness. I mean, you covet everything everybody else has got. What did the Lord say about that? He ain't going to heaven. We find that hard to believe, but that's what He said. Uh, we understand, you know, if you're living with somebody out of wedlock, you know, I mean, that, that's a really a gross sin. But with God, sin sin. No matter what it is, you know, if sin is sin. But if we believe that, there would be no people in the church that would commit any kind of fornication or sexual immorality. Because... How would you like to be doing something like that and then you die? And you know, I've seen young people that are involved in sexual immorality die at a very young age. And somebody said, wasn't that a coincidence? Joey or Shelly or Susie or whatever. She died at 21. wonder what happened. Or somebody says, well, my son died last night. I feel so sad. What happened to him? Oh, he overdosed on drugs. He was playing with the devil. wonder how many times God gave him a chance to stop that. Probably many. Probably many times. Friends or whatever would say, don't do that. Don't take them drugs. You know, they could kill you. Ah, that, that's nonsense. They can't hurt me. Or somebody else will walk up to you and say, you know, just try this. You know, just try this cigarette. If you hadn't smoked one of these, you don't know what you've missed. Just try it. See, now that's one of these kind that's weaseling their way in among you. Yeah, one cigarette probably won't kill you. But if you keep on, in fact, I heard Dr. Dobson say here a while back, it's been quite a few years ago, he said, how many of you have seen the sign, beautiful woman on it, with a cigarette in her mouth, said, baby, you've come a long way. I used to see those been years ago. I heard him make a statement. Well, babies, y'all have really come a long way. He said, y'all have now exceeded 
lung cancer in men by the time you're 38. More women have lung cancer at 38 than men. He said, y'all come a long way. Hey, you don't have to have lung cancer, do you? No. Stop sinning. Don't smoke them things. But there's people will come in and just like they said a while ago watching the TV, if you turn the television on, you can see commercials that everything, every drug, I mean, they got drug commercials on there. I mean, they got smoking, they got beer, they got everything. That's the world. Those people are weaseling their way in among us, trying to deceive us. But they're also coming inside the church. He says that they're saying that God's forgiveness allows us to live immoral lives. Hmm. The fate of such people was determined long ago. Well, they have turned against our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Do you want to be against the King? Just like that gentleman Saturday. God gave him a wake-up call. A heart attack. There ain't nothing that will bring a great, big, strong, hard-working man down faster than a heart attack. When the heart quits working, you're in trouble. I remember a preacher. I went to his church one time, heard him tell this story. It's several years ago when I was still just a deacon in a Baptist church. I was just looking around trying to find something because I began to see things in this book. I had thought there's got to be preachers out there that have known these things that are teaching the truth. I went to his church. He told the story. He said, <clears throat> when I was a younger man, I was God called me, spoke to me, told me he wanted me to be an evangelist. So he said, I was out there for several years. I was going, had my little travel trailer, and said I got married, and, and we had a couple of children, and said wife and children went with me. Well, they was little. But he said, they got big enough to go to school. You know, they get six or five or six or seven. Now it's time for them to go to school. Now Mama can't go no more. So I said, she's at home. She's staying at home so the kids can be at school. Now I'm out there gone two, three, four weeks at a time by myself. That's not exactly ideal circumstances for a man and woman that's married, is it? Now she's back at home taking care of the children. And, you know, she said, she said I'm standing here to sink one day washing uh, dishes and I'm grumbling. Lord, I sure wish my husband could be at home with me more. I sure get tired of being here with the kids all the time by myself. I only get to see him once every three or four weeks. Did you ever read the Scripture where God don't like grumbling and complaining? Have you read that? The Lord spoke to her and said, You know, I could put him where you would never see him again. She said, I turned around and said, Who said that? Who said that? Guess who that was that spoke to her? God. Well, he was doing the same thing. He said, Lord, I'm, gr I'm you know, he didn't recognize he was grumbling. He said, I'm going to quit being an evangelist. I'm going home. Uh, this is going to be my last evangelistic meeting when I get back this time. It's over. I'm going back home. I'm going to find me a little church there somewhere in the town we live in, and I'm going to be a preacher, and I can be at home with my wife and kids. So at the last meeting, he got up told the folks that 
This is my last evangelical meeting. I'm going to quit being an evangelist after this meeting. And bam, his heart stopped. And he fell on the floor right in front of the congregation. He said, I could still hear and I could still see, but I couldn't move a muscle. He said, somebody come up and check me. He said, his heart stopped. His heart's not beating. He said, I couldn't talk out loud, but inside I'm saying, Lord, I repent. I repent. I'll be an evangelist of God. Lord, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do anything you tell me to do. Somebody called his wife right then and told her, said, your husband just had a heart attack that he just dropped dead on the floor. It appears. She started screaming, God, I'm sorry. Lord, I repent. I repent. Lord, you can have him. Just let me have him once in a while. Isn't it amazing under the certain circumstances how God can get your attention? After she repented and after he repented, God spoke to him and said, Okay, do I really have your attention now? Are you going to be an evangelist? Yes or no? He said, Yes, Lord, yes. I mean, he ain't able to open his mouth. But he's saying it internally. Him and God's having a talk. So all of a sudden, his heart just became stable. The guy lived to be nearly 90 years old. He never missed another meeting. Can God get your attention? You better be doing what He called you to do. You know it? Because if you're not, and you're not producing fruit for the kingdom of God, He can take you out in a heartbeat. And it's Him that takes you out. That's what's so amazing. But it says, the fate of these people that are teaching you these lies was determined long ago, for they have turned against our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to be against the King. Then it says, I must remind you, and you know it well, that even though the Lord rescued the whole nation of Israel from Egypt, that was an awesome story, wasn't it? How He brought them out of Egypt. He later, who? God later destroyed every one of those who did not remain faithful. Who destroyed them? God did. Somebody said, God would not do this to me. I don't know what book you're reading, but I only see one God in this book. He's God. He's the King. And He's the one that says, you live or you die. You know that? He is the one that pulls all the strings. Keith, if He wants you to live to be a hundred, as long as you obey Him, you can be perfectly well and healthy until He said, okay, now you've produced the last fruit for my kingdom. You've been a good boy and I'm going to translate you out. And bam, He'll bring you home right there. You'll no, no, have no feelings of death. He'll just translate you out. But what if you're disobedient? What if you don't obey Him? You can go through all kinds of pain and suffering and He's giving you a wake-up call. Keith, listen to me. You need to straighten your act up. And lots of men don't listen, do they? And they die. And somebody says, what a shame. The young man, 30 years old, 25 years old, overdosed on drugs. Was that God's best for that man? Nope. God wanted that young man to live to be an old man, but he wouldn't listen. Somebody got in there and taught him a lie. And he listened. I'm going to tell you, if God wasn't merciful and kind and gentle, you know how many of us here today would be here? None of us. 
If you sin the first, second, third, fourth, tenth time, and God took you out on the tenth sin, you know how many be here today? Nobody. Nobody. Aren't we glad He's merciful? Yeah. We really are. And he said, and he, God later destroyed every one of those who did not remain faithful. And he did, didn't he? Every one of those men that was 20 years of age or older, every one of them except Joshua and Caleb, they were the only two people, and they, were, they remained faithful. They remained faithful. They were the only ones out of that whole multitude of men. And how many men were there that come out of Egypt? Over 600,000. How many of them lived? None of them. But two. Two remained faithful to God and the rest of them were unfaithful and He took them out. And I remind you of the angels. Not only will He do this to human beings, and I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority. You mean angels can get outside of the limits of authority? Yes, they can. God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them chained in prisons of darkness. God gave these angels a place of authority. He said, you can go this far. You can do this. He gave them a set of rules just like He has you and me. So He's in control of everything, both the invisible world and the visible world, the spirit world and the physical world. He's in control. So what's happening? He's in control. He knows everything. God has kept these angels chained in prisons of darkness waiting for the day of judgment. Just think. You were an angel. You had freedom to go do things. And you went beyond your place of authority. I can talk about a few of those places, I think, in the Scripture that I think where angels did this, but I don't have time today. But when these angels passed this place of authority where God had laid them and told them, this is all you can do, they didn't believe Him, and they went beyond that. He says He chained them in prisons of darkness waiting the day of judgment. And it's the day of judgment. Guess where these angels will be put? Into the lake of fire. You know, hell or the lake of fire has not been opened yet. Ain't nobody in hell yet. Nobody. There's a place called Gehenna, the place of torment, the place where it's hot. Flames. But it's not the lake of fire. Hell is not opened yet. It's only opened in the book of Revelation. Right now, there is a place, I believe, in the center of the earth, because the Scripture teaches that, that is extremely hot and tormenting. And everybody that dies without Jesus, that's where they go. To this place of torment. Can you imagine the worms crawling in and out of your flesh, eating it, and then vomiting it back up and it coming back on you, and they come back and eat it again? You know, the Scripture teaches that? That's kind of gory, isn't it? God didn't want it to be nice. He wanted you to know. He wanted you to stand in fear. He wanted you to know that you don't want to go to this place. You don't have to, but you have to be obedient and serving. And don't forget the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
and their neighboring towns. He didn't just destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He destroyed the plains, the cows, the rocks, everything around Sodom and Gomorrah, which were filled with sexual immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. I realize we're getting all this stuff out here now that for preachers, if you preach about sexual immorality, especially homosexuality and those kind of things, bestiality, and that you're a hate monger and they don't want you talking about it. Well, let me tell you, I know why they don't want you talking about it, but there's one I got to obey, and it's the king. Now, these people on earth, they can't do nothing but put me in jail or kill the flesh. But the master could put me in hell because of my disobedience. I'm telling you, I don't care what man does to me. I'm not afraid of a man. But I'm going to tell you, I stand in awe of God. I don't want to go to hell. Do you? Could he put anybody there he wants to? Yes, he can. And he'll be the one that makes that decision. I think about that time when Richard Eby, when he died, he was a medical doctor. I've seen his testimony many times. Richard Eby goes to heaven. I mean, he dies. I mean, he falls out of a third-story house in Chicago, busts his head open on a curb, brains go everywhere, DOA. Take him down to the morgue, DOA. Put him in a coal room. The Lord speaks to his wife and says, Richard is in the hospital. They say he's dead, but you go up there and claim his body. I'm going to raise him up. He's alive. So she went to Chicago. And she found the hospital said, I need to talk to my husband. They said, ma'am, he's not talkable. He's dead. She said, no, I need to talk to him. God told me to come talk to him. And the lady said, well, let me take you down to where he is. So the lady took him, took her down into the morgue, into the coal room, and pulled out the tray where he'd been laying there in a refrigerator room for a couple of days. And when they pulled him out, he sat up. The lady fainted. But his wife talked to him. What can God do? Sure. I mean, you know. But now see, when God took Richard to heaven and He showed him, He said, go back now and tell my people about this beautiful place because tell them I'm coming soon. Well, see, when God says soon, we think that means today or tomorrow. He told Paul He was coming soon. And God even thought God, Paul thought the Lord was coming so soon. He said, you know, if you're not married, don't get married. If you are married, act like you're not married. You know, He said, just serve me because He said, well, I'm coming. the Lord's coming soon. He thought he's coming next week. But 2,000 years have come and gone. He hadn't come yet. But he is coming. He's coming, I guarantee. He's coming. So get ready. He might come for you today. He's come for a lot of people since Paul said he's coming. In fact, everybody that's dead, he's already come for them. And, of course, he could come for you and me. But Richard was went over after several years of telling about the Lord and His magnificent power and what He could do in heaven, he went over to Israel and was in Lazarus' tomb. And he said, I was down there and the light went out. And all of a sudden, I felt this being beside me and it's pitch black. I said, Lord, is that you? He said, yes, son. I'm fixing to take you on another trip. He said, Lord, where are you taking me this time? 
He said, I'm taking you to hell. He said, Lord, I'm washed in the blood. You can't take me to hell. By what right are you going to take me to hell? He said, son, I'm God and I'll do anything I want to do. And Richard Eby, the next thing he knew, he was in a dark pit of hell with the demons of hell screaming and singing some of the most vulgar music. He said, I don't know how long I was in there. Only a few minutes. But he said, that was the most terrible, awesome, wicked place I've ever been in my life. He said, you don't want to go to that place. It's hot and it's cold. It's everything. Miserable. And that place is prepared for Satan and his host of demons and everybody that won't accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Wow. Awesome. Then he says, those cities were destroyed by fire and they are a warning of the eternal fire that will punish all who are evil. I mean, God made this pretty clear, didn't He? Made it pretty clear. But see, we don't we fail to realize that, oh, I'm washed in the blood. I go to church once a year, you know, twice a year, Christmas and Easter. You know, I'm okay. No, that won't get it. That's not an obedient child. Or if you go to church every Sunday, but you're still getting drunk during the week and you're still running around or sleeping around with somebody and you're not married to them, I'm going to tell you that's not going to get you to heaven. That's going to take you into the fires of hell. God told us to be obedient. He's telling us this. Yet these false teachers that are telling you these things, who claim authority from their dreams, they live immoral lives themselves. They defy authority and they scoff at the powers of the glorious one. You don't have to be afraid of Jesus. He loves you. I mean, He died on the cross for you. His blood's poured out. You can just go ahead and live in that kind of sin. I mean, I realize that's the way God made you as a homosexual. And since He made you like that, that's okay. Or He made you a sexual being. And if you want to be a sodomite, God understands. Hey, that that teacher, that guy's going to hell too. That guy's going. And if you believe Him, you're going to go with Him. Then He said, but even Michael, one of the mightiest angels, He did not dare accuse Satan of blasphemy, but he simply said, The Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with Satan about Moses' body. Just think, when Moses' body died, the devil come and he wanted that body. Moses had been such a powerful being and he committed one little sin. One. And the devil wants his body. But Michael ain't going to let him have it. Michael's going to do something else with this body. Isn't that amazing? But these people mock and curse the things they do not understand. That's what happens to people. They make fun of things or they go to church and they hear something. They never read the book for themselves. I'm going to ask you a question, but I don't want you to hold up your hand. Because I don't want you to feel intimidated. Because I know... That by the time I'd been in church 20 years, if somebody asked me this question, I couldn't have held up my hand. Even after I'd become a Sunday school teacher, probably for the first 10 years of my life, I could not have answered this question. Have you read the entire Bible from cover to cover at least once? I hadn't. I hadn't. Now, why did I not know these things? 
I hadn't read the book. You know what the problem is in the church today? We don't read the book. When you read this book, Dave and I was talking the other day. We talk a lot about the Bible. We get in some very, very good, deep conversations about the Word of God. We spend a lot of time talking about these things. You know, he said, Thurman, now that I've come into your ministry and started reading the Word of God and we're talking about it, he said, every book has these things in it that you teach that people say don't work. But he said, they're not just in one book, they're in every book. I mean, this book of Job right here. I mean, the book of Jude right here. This is pretty clear, isn't it? What God will do if we disobey. But it's like people, I don't know what they're doing. They, don't, they read it, they don't think it's for them. But he says, they're like animals. They do whatever their instincts tell them. Do you know anybody like that? I do. They live just exactly like they want to. I mean, I'm going to do this. God, He don't mind. I'm going to go do this or that. Or I mean, you know, I'm saved. I don't have to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to the lake. Okay. And they bring about their own destruction. You wonder why people die early? It's because of sin. They bring about their own destruction. How terrible it will be for them... For they follow the evil example of Cain, who killed his brother like Balaam. They will do anything for money. Do you know people around that will do anything for money? Do you know people that will say, Well, I can't come to church on Sunday because I've got to make a living for my family. I have to work on Sunday. I'm going to tell you, when you're disobedient, you can't work enough. There ain't enough. Until you start doing it God's way. I don't know about you, but I love being blessed. I put in lots of hours, but I work all the time now for Jesus. But even used to, even used to, whenever I was in the workforce, I still made sure I give God Sunday. There might be a Sunday once in a while I might miss, but I give God Sunday, and then I give Him Monday through Saturday. I prayed and talked to Him during the week about everything. Hey, When you talk to Him and ask Him, when you're serving Him and you ask Him for things. Just another thing, Dave, and I was talking about this recently. And I told, just like He said, I know this Scripture is in here, but people don't believe it. Whenever you get this into your spirit that all the secrets and the treasures of the universe are hidden in Christ and He's in you, then all the answers to everything you can ever need is already in you. All you've got to do is ask God... Ask the Father in the name of Jesus to show you how to do things and you'll be amazed at the knowledge and wisdom that will come up from the Spirit of the living God that's in you that will come into your spirit that will communicate with your mind and He'll show you how to do things that will be beyond your wildest dreams. I'll give you an example. Now then that I'm flying airplanes again, I'll tell you about a story that happened to me years ago, 40 years ago. I was flying a single-engine airplane. I had my wife, my my uh, nephew, me, my wife, and my mother. That's when my mother was still alive. Four of us, and it was a Mooney. And I took off out of Eagle Pass, Texas, coming to Goldsway, Texas. And there ain't nothing across there but hill country. 
There is no place to land an airplane down there that's smooth enough you can't get hurt. I'm up just three or 4,000 feet above the ground. All of a sudden, something told me, check the fuel pressure. Look for the fuel pressure, and it's coming down to zero. I thought, whoa, this is not a good indication. Now, I wonder, is that an indication? Because it could be a gauge fail. Then I reached over and switched over to another tank. Pressure still. I reached over and flipped the boost pump on. And it's still come plumb down to zero. Okay. I thought, now I can't take a chance. It's running good. But if this is true, in a minute, the fuel that's in that line that's going up is going to be gone. And when it does, the engine's going to quit running. So I immediately, by knowing where I was, that's way back in the, before the days of GPS. Now, this Ty would have been in trouble. <laughs> he learned under the new era of GPSs. I didn't have one back in those days, but I knew exactly where I was. I was flying an airway, and I looked at my, my map, and I saw the airway I was flying on. And I looked about three or four miles off to my left, and there was a little highway. So I just turned left over to go over that highway. I go over to the highway, I get almost over there, and the airplane stops running. There's not anything quieter than being in an airplane with the engine not running. <laughs> so I begin to try to pump the throttle, putting the boost pumps on, and everything. Every once in a while, it hit. It fired. And it, you know, it hit a little. And so, man, I got over at that road, and I lined up with that road. I thought, thank you, Jesus. I mean, it's a half a mile straight, just a little road. But it's better than landing out there in them rocks. I line up on that, and all of a sudden the engine catches and starts running strong. I look down at that fuel pressure, it's still on zero. Right there, obviously I didn't listen to the Spirit. Something told me, land! I said, guess who that was? That's the Spirit of God. But I looked at my chart, and just about 10 miles up the road, there's a nice little airport, a little country airport. I thought, I can make it. 10 miles in an airplane is nothing. So I pulled up right in front of me is a mountain. I got a half a mile of highway right in front. The road disappears into that mountain, goes around a curve, and there's about a two or 300-foot mountain right in front of me. I pull up. Okay, now then, I'm at the point of no return. I'm up and right there. The engine says, dead. And it don't fire another lick. Now then, now if I'd have listened to the Spirit, I'd have landed on the highway on this side and I'd been totally out of trouble. But I didn't. I listened to self. And so I think, now then, it's my mother's in the back seat. I know she was praying 90 miles an hour. I was praying too, let me tell you. I said, Lord, i got to have some help. So I know I can't make it over this mountain. There ain't no way I'm going to make it over. So I make a left turn, keep the airplane clean. I go around the edge. And when you go around the end of the mountain, you look out and the mountain's taller than you are. That's not a good sign, especially without the engine running. So I come around the mountain. And I thought, Lord, that road came into that mountain. And I could see over it a while ago. So it's got to be on the other side of that mountain. There's got to be a road come out on the other side. I went around the mountain. As I come around, I'm losing altitude all the time with no engine running. And when I saw that little road, it went down into a deep, deep ravine and then up, and then it was level for about a half a mile. I thought, thank you, Jesus. 
I brought that thing around, lined it up, and by this time I'm only about 30 or 40 feet off of the ground. That's close. And I, this is, I've come over that, a guy in a pickup come up out of that hole, in, in, and when he come up, he said, I saw this airplane lined up right in the middle road, and when I saw the landing gear come out, he said, I thought, whoa, this guy, he's going to land. And when I saw the prop, and then he turned he said, I knew you were going to land. I landed right on that road, rolled out. A fuel filter stopped up in that airplane, and that one little dinky fuel filter could have cost an airplane and four people their life if I hadn't have been listening to the Spirit of the living God. But because I was obedient, and because God had something further down the line for me, even though I've done a stupid decision of not making the right decision when He told me, land! And I didn't. He was still merciful to me, and gave me enough lift. And you know what God probably did? Probably one day when I get to heaven, He'll probably say, Yes, son, I told you to land. You were disobedient. I had plans for you. I had to send two angels down there, and one of them had to get hold of each wing and guide you around that deal. Because if I had enough, you would have crashed out there and killed all of y'all. He said, I had a plan for you down the line. He said, Now, because you were obedient and had been serving me, I sent those angels to save you and your family's life. He said, Now, if I hadn't have been obedient, hadn't been serving him, I'm going to guarantee you I'd have crashed out there somewhere and four people would have died in those hills out there. Wow. Does it pay good dividends to obey God? Yes, it does. But these false teachers will tell you something. It says, then he says, how terrible it will be for they will follow the evil examples of Cain who killed his brother like Balaam. He will do anything for money and like Korah. They will perish because of their rebellion. Y'all remember Korah? Recently we talked about him. You know, over there in Numbers, we talked about Korah. And he was rebellious to God and he wanted to run things. And God didn't want him to run things. He wanted Moses to run things. And so God was so upset. He said, okay. He said, tell Korah to get his whole team that wants to work with him together right out there in one spot. And he did. And then the next morning, Moses said, okay. Now we're going to find out who's telling the truth. If God wants Korah to run things, there ain't nothing going to happen. But if He wants me to run things, the ground where they're standing is going to open. They're all going to fall into the flames. And what immediately happened? The ground opened up and Korah and his entire family, children, all of them, there's no ground under you, and the flame, and they're falling down into the flames of fire of hell. How would you like to have been there that day and saw that? You think that might have put fear into you? You think it might have made it a little easier for you to obey God next time when He said, I want you to do something? You said, yes, Lord. What do you want me to do, Lord? I'll do it. Yes, Lord. Anything. Oh, that's absolutely right. That, that is the most awesome thing, what Joseph just said. The next day, another bunch come and blamed Moses for opening the ground. He did it. God, Moses killed them. That's the height of stupidity, folks. I mean, today, today, who do you know today that can open the ground up like that and all the people fall in? Only God. If he did it then, could he do it today? 
sure he can. In fact, I guess right here would be a good place to throw in this. Cheryl says if we're here next Sunday. She got an email. And somebody's talking about there's going to be some kind of an asteroid or something or whatever it is. A galactic tsunami or whatever. That's over the winds and high winds that's going to hit the earth. The 10th. The ninth or the tenth of this month. She asked me the other day when she read this, what do you think? I said, I think this guy's crazy. That's what I think. I said, I'm not the least bit concerned. You know, here's the thing about it. If God, if He does, if it is time for Him to start judging the earth and this thing does come, and if He takes me out, I get to graduate to go home to be with the King. And my problems are over. But until He comes, I'm going to occupy till He comes. And I'm not going to live in no kind of fear. And I'm going to tell you, next Saturday, I plan to have a healing school. And next Sunday, I plan to be in church. And Tuesday night, I plan to have Bible study. You know, i got plans all week this week. And I ain't changing them. Huh? Yeah. We're going to be here praising the King. Then he says, When these people join you in fellowship... Meals celebrating the love of the Lord. Now, these are these wicked people, these false teachers. They are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck wreck you. I mean, you know, they're right here with you. I mean, they're right in the Word. They're right in the Word. They're walking in appears in some kind of a godless kind of love, but not godly love. But they're lying to you, telling you things that you can do things. And we believe them. They'll shipwreck you. They are shameless in the way they care only about themselves. They don't care about you. I think about a lady a while ago that came up here and told me. She said, Thurman, you may not remember me. And it's amazing how I don't remember people because I deal with so many. But she said, I called you and asked you to come to the hospital in Dallas to pray over my daughter. And she said, you came. She said, you'll never know what that meant to me. I would lay down everything and drive all the way down there to pray over her daughter. Well, hey, if I don't go pray, I limit God. If I go pray, what can the king do? Hey, anything. That's how we get things done. I mean, yes, I prayed over a lot of people that didn't get a healing or didn't get a miracle. But I prayed over a bunch of them that got a miracle, and I prayed over a bunch of them that got healed. And if you don't do something for God, you ain't never going to see the king do nothing. But when you start doing something for God, but he expects you to take your time and efforts and your money and resources and use them for his glory. That's just like when this lady said, I came all the way to Dallas from my ministry center to pray for her daughter. I think about the morning... At the, or the evening, the lady called me and wanted to buy me a ticket to go down to Corpus Christi and pray for a woman with breast cancer that had a few days left to live. I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning. 5 o'clock. You've got to be serious about this, folks. Drive down to the airport, get on the airplane, fly to Houston, change planes, fly to Corpus, get there at 1020. And then spend five hours in a person's home teaching two people that you ain't never seen before in your life about the Word of God. And then have the audacity to think that you're going to build their faith to a point that a woman's on her deathbed is going to die this week. When you cast a demon out of her, she's going to be healed. But that's what I expected. And that's what happened. That woman went with her husband to take me to the airport. 
And by the next morning, I mean on the way home that afternoon, this woman had not had a bite to eat. Pat, what she knows about the colon and all this stuff, she'll know her colon had had the tumors in it and everything else. This woman had not been able to eat a bite of food in over three weeks. And by faith, when I kicked them demons out of her and prayed for her, the king healed her, and she went with me and her husband to take me to the airplane where I could come back from Corpus. I got home that night about 10 o'clock. And then, on the way home, she stopped and had a fried shrimp dinner. Hadn't eaten a bite in three weeks, and then had the audacity to call me the next morning and say, Thurman, I woke up this morning, and everything in my body worked perfect. You know what that means? She was able to go to the bathroom. She, everything worked perfect. And over the next four, five, or six weeks, she gained her weight back. She got back up. She weighed about 80 pounds when I was down there. And within six months, she was back up to about 125 pounds. A beautiful woman, completely, totally healed. She'd been sick for two years. A Baptist woman. What was killing her? Her and her husband's sin. Their unbelief. See? Unbelief of the promises of God. He'd already prepared it for them. They just didn't know it. It had a false teacher somewhere teaching them that God's not the healer no more. He don't do these things no more. Or maybe he, yeah, he can, but we don't know if he's will or not. How are you going to, how are you going to develop faith with somebody teaching you like that? I'm going to tell you, Joseph, that God's going to heal every human, he's going to save every human being on earth, but one. And then I come to you and say, how would you like to make Jesus your Lord and Savior? And the devil whispers in your ear, but Joseph, you're that one. You're that one. But what did God say? He comes to save how many? All. Everyone. Now we can have faith, can't we? If Jesus comes to save the whole world, that includes every one of us, doesn't it? That means you. And you. And you. And you. And you. Jesus comes to save everybody. He wants everybody to know Him as Lord and Savior. You think God wants anybody to go to hell? Of course not. That's what He come and sent His Son for. But there's people out there telling you there's a lie. And these people, they only care about themselves. They're like clouds blowing over dry land without giving rain, promising much, but producing nothing. They're not out there getting nobody saved. They're not out there getting nobody healed. They're not producing anything for the kingdom of God. They're like trees without fruit at harvest time. Don't you love going out and going to the peach orchard during harvest time and there ain't a peach nowhere? No, you want to go out there, boy, when you want to see them things hanging all dripping. Woo, that's the way you like. There ain't never been a better peach lance than there's them fresh off the tree, right, son? That's right. Woo, glory to God. I mean, we can go out there and just pick out. And with God's fruit, like you can eat all you want to on the apples and peaches and stuff He made. And you know, you don't gain no weight. Isn't that amazing? You don't get fat eating the good stuff. It's the bad stuff that puts the weight on you. I mean, here a while back, we got in a bad habit. You know, we sat down every night about 11, 12, 1 o'clock, and instead of having a bowl of ice cream and almonds or peanuts with one dip of ice cream, I got down to where I, you know, that stuff's so good, who wants one? So I got to have two. And then after that, two ain't enough, so then I got to have three. And then after that, that ain't enough, so then it got to where every night when I sat down, I'd put four big dips of ice cream. And the other night, I stepped on the shelves. Just a few nights ago. And there they were. That's it. <laughs> 190 pounds. I said, I don't believe this. 
Man, I started running. I stopped to eat. I don't eat the ice cream no more. Period. Not not one. Not none. And last night I stepped on the scales and I weighed 175 again. Hey, it takes some diligence, you know it. Ooh, Ooh that ice cream sure is good, though. You know it. And it's not sure good. But you have to beat your body. You have to obey. Then it says, they're not only dead, but doubly dead. For they have been pulled out by the roots. They're like wild waves of the sea, churning up the dirty foam of their shameless deeds. They are wandering stars heading for everlasting gloom and darkness. Now, Enoch who lived seven generations after Adam, he prophesied about these people. He said, look, the Lord is coming. Is He coming? Whoa, is He ever? The Lord is coming with thousands of His holy ones or His holy saints. Just think, everybody that died, that's already in heaven, when He comes back, He's going to bring them with Him. So all of your loved ones that have already went home to be with Jesus, He's going to bring them back riding that white horse. He's bringing them back. Wow. With thousands of His holy ones, He will bring the people of the world to judgment. He will convict the ungodly of all the evil things they have done in rebellion and of all the insults that godless sinners have spoken against Him. These people are grumblers and complainers. Don't be one of those. Don't be a grumbler and complainer doing whatever evil they feel like. They are loudmouth braggarts and they flatter others to get favor in return. You know anybody does those kind of things? You know, the next Scripture, we're going to have to talk about this next week because it's already 4 o'clock. But he has something to say about us in the next part. But I'm going to, we're going to talk about this next week because it's 4 o'clock. But I'll just tell you the title of the next few verses. A Call to Remain Faithful. After telling us about all these wicked people that's going to worm their way in among you, telling you, you can do anything you want to do. God understands. Because of His forgiveness, you can just live in any kind of sin you want to, young lady. You don't want to listen to them kind of teachers, do you? Whenever I come along and me and as many other pastors just like me that are teaching the Word, holiness and perfection and these kind of things, people say, you know, you guys are crazy. Nobody... Just like a guy walked up to me the other day and he said, well, I guess the next thing you're going to tell me is God expects me to be perfect. I said, no, I ain't going to tell you that because you don't believe me. I said, but I got a Bible right here in my car. Let me get it out. I turned it over to Matthew 5.48 and I handed it to him. I said, read that. You know what Matthew 5.48 says? And after all, it's the king speaking. Anybody got a Bible? Turn to Matthew 5, 48, and let's see what that says, and then we're going to take communion. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Now, the king couldn't possibly expect you to do this. 
The standards have got to be too high. Nobody could do this. What does Matthew 5.48 say? Be ye what? Be ye a little bit perfect? What does it say? Be ye perfect? And he didn't just say be perfect. He even told you how, who to be perfect to, the same as, right? Be ye perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You think God is perfect? What a goal to shoot for, huh? I said, see? Yeah, He wants us to be perfect. Is that what He wants? Now then, if you can obtain that gold and be perfect, and you can, it's an obtainable goal. If you walk totally holy and you reach that and you get to where you walk into God's kind of love, what can you come and ask the king for then? I like that, don't you? Ask for anything and he'll help you. Now then, it's too late if you're on approach or if you're up there in the air over the hill country and you haven't been in the Word, and all of a sudden your engine conks out, it's too late to repent and get in the Word and get perfect before you get to the ground. It's too late. There's a lot of people try that, you know it? I mean, all of a sudden now they're headed to crash or whatever, and they oh God, please forgive me of my sins, Lord! They would have never thought about that. Pilot calls it, I'm sorry, the engine just flamed out. I mean, how would you like to have been riding on that northwest? Way back when the earthquake was in California, it didn't get the news because the earthquake was on the news. But a friend of mine was on that beat uh, uh, on that. Uh, I believe it was an MD80. I believe. I just told him he was the general manager of one of our plants, and I told him I said you need to stop being so busy at work and you need to start to take time with your son. I said you've already lost your wife because of your business, but I said your children don't lose them too. I said, you need to take time with your child. You never know when your life may be over. So he thought, okay, I'll listen to Thurman. I'll go from... His son was living in uh, uh, Phoenix. And, of course, he was the general manager of one of our plants in Minneapolis. He said, I'll take this weekend. I'll go down and spend it with my son. He gets on a Northwest MD-80, DC-9, whatever it was, little two-engine jet. And they're headed down to Phoenix. And they get over Colorado, and they have a massive failure of both engines at the same time. Now, the co-pilot on that airplane was a normal little guy. The, the captain on the left side, he was an older guy like me. He'd been raised up in the Vietnam War, and he'd been shot at, shot down, and everything else. So, he didn't have any fear. So, when the engine quit, oh, both engines quit, and they're dead stick, no lights, everything goes out. Airplane's pitch black. Nothing's working. That's not exactly what you want to happen. But it was a beautiful moonlight night. And he knew the area well. He'd made that trip across there a lot of times. The co-pilot panicked. I mean, he would have crashed the airplane. No two ways about it. The captain told him, he said, just sit down and be quiet. Don't bother me. He said, I'm going to land this a 4,000-foot concrete strip out here in the middle of these mountains. He said, I'm going to put this thing down in the moonlight out here on that strip. Now, that's not quite long enough for a DC-9 or whatever it was to land. But he had no alternative. He brought that thing around, found that little strip shining in the moonlight at night with no lights. And the airport didn't have no lights. It was pitch black. But the moon was lighting, and he saw the reflection. He brought the thing around and around and around and lined up and hit right on the end of the runway right on the gear. It didn't, couldn't put the gear down. The gear wouldn't come down. Nothing would work. 
put the airplane right on the end of the runway, slid 4,000 feet, went right off the other end into the rocks and everything, and stopped. And this friend of mine, he said, all the time I'm thinking, oh, God, God, Thurman told me the other day, I never know when I'm going to die. He said, I need to spend some time with my family. Now I'm decided to spend time with my family, and tonight may be my death. He said, we get to the ground. He said, I'm praying, repenting, I'm doing everything. You know, it has a tendency to get people's attention, you know. You know, there's a lot of y'all never thought about praying. If you was in a circumstance like it, guarantee you'd be praying. I might have get on an airplane like that and say, hey, old Jesus, the king of kings. Who's this nut? But all of a sudden, when that happens, they say, where's that preacher? Where's that preacher? Let's get him up here. Everybody wants the preacher up there whenever they have a time of need, right? He put that thing in. He said, when we got to the end and the airplane did stop, he said, that last part was really bumpy and rough. But he said, when we finally stopped, he said, they tried to open the door and they can't get the door open. The airplane was still pressurized. The pressurization system wouldn't work. Somebody happened to think, said, take that axe. There used to be an axe on the door. Break the glass out. If somebody broke the glass out, said, when they did, the airplane depressurized almost instantly. So then he opened the door. We all jumped out and run off out there in the night in the moonlight. He said, all of a sudden, about 70 or 80 people on the airplane, 60 or 80, whatever it was. He said, we backed off out there and looked at this airplane sitting there. Not a spark, not a fire, nothing. Sitting there. And I thought, God, you had to save this bunch of people. You know what the chances of an airplane like that with that many people on it landing in the mountains of Colorado with the average pilot and they're all coming out walking off alive without a scratch? Almost zero. But you know what it did to him? He said, it made me aware. It was a wake-up call. I need to spend time with my children. I need to spend time with those that are important. All of a sudden, his job as a general manager of our plant was not important anymore. You know that? Nothing's important. You know, you can have a man with millions of dollars and all of a sudden you're in that kind of a situation. You can't call on the millions. They ain't going to help you. And if you die right there, the millions still going to be in the bank. Only somebody else is going to have them. So you need to start doing what's important. You need to start putting God first. Now that we're going to pass out the... Y'all come on. We're going to take this communion as we pass this out. I want you to examine yourself. I want you to think, have I got all my sins repented of? Have I done this? Am I walking holy in obedience to God's Word? Oh, thank you, Will. Thank you, Shelley. Am I about the king's business? In fact, Keith, right up here, this Keith, i got two Keiths here. But this Keith has been in, I think, every one of the teachings where we've taught on love. And he made a statement to Dave the other day after Dave preached on love. He said, you know, really, this is the only thing we need to preach on. Love. You know, we need to learn how to love. Is that right? When we learn how to love, then you can get over every hurdle there is. Learn to love. Without that love, you can't make it. You know, if you let that world control you... I can guarantee even those of you that are married, your wife or your husband will say something or do something, or one of your children will say something or do something that will hurt you. And if you're not careful, you'll carry that grudge. But you know, just like Dave told you the other day when he taught on love, 
When I said, you know, love is not easily provoked, he said, I thought, well, okay, that means that somebody does me wrong the first time, I can't be provoked. But if they do it the second or the third or the fifth or the tenth, I can get them. So he said, I went back and researched that real good to see at what point I can get them. He said, when I got back, God says the word easily is not in there. Love is never provoked. Is that tough? If you really walk into God kind of love, it makes no matter what your mate does to you, you can't be provoked. You've got to forgive and forget. That's the Jesus kind of love. Is that tough to walk in that? But can we do that? Sure we can. Because God said so. We walk in His love. This bread that we have here is a symbol of the body of our Savior that was striped and pierced and beaten for us. He bore in His own flesh by stripes and by piercing. He gave His body for you and me so that ours can be healed. He bore our sickness and He removed our disease in Matthew 8, 17. And there's not very many people believe that either. But when you eat this bread and you eat it in faith, if you can believe Him, you can receive the healing power of Jesus. And you don't have to be sick. I mean, it's a struggle to walk there. It's a real struggle. I'm going to tell you, it's not easy. The devil came upon Cheryl and I both the other day. And here we were at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning laying there coughing. And she's laughing and I'm laughing and I made a statement. Isn't this amazing? A pastor and his wife with a healing ministry. And here we are coughing and hacking. I said, what a deal. Well, we had to fight. We had to resist the enemy. We had to stand on his word. You know, and he did go away. Praise God. But it's because of this we can fight that fight of faith. The bread. Father, we thank you for the bread. That's a symbol of the body of our Savior, which came to this earth and paid all the price for us. That by his stripes we are healed. We receive that by faith in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. grape juice is a symbol of the blood of the king. There's not anything in the cosmos any more powerful. When you drink this by faith, this will wash away every sin you've ever committed. And I know some of you were like me. You've committed some heinous sins. Are we glad he's the forgiver? Are we glad we're now washed in the blood? I'll be glad that with all of our sins repented of, just like this beautiful lady over here with a beautiful uh, orchid-colored white dress on today, when she came out, she was asking me some questions. And I said, ma'am, that beautiful dress you got on, if you were standing on the curb, somebody came by and splashed a bunch of mud up on it, would you just keep wearing it all day? She said, absolutely not. I would want to take it home and get on something that was clean. I said, that's the way it is with us whenever we get sin splashed upon us. We shouldn't want to carry it for a day or a week or a month. We ought to come to the king just like you would take that beautiful dress down and you'd take it and you'd either wash it or take it to the cleaners or whatever it takes. 
but you would want to get it, and when you got it back, you'd want to look at those, and you'd make sure there's not a spot. If there's a faint, faint spot left, you think, the cleaners didn't get this clean. I want this clean. Because when she puts that beautiful dress on, she don't want no spots on it. That's what this blood does to us when we ask Him. All of our sin. Say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. And He takes this blood and it washes it and it's clean. Then He says, now don't go and sin anymore so you have to use it again. Walk holy before me. Walk clean. Walk perfect. And there won't be any of those spots come upon you. And that's what the King wants us to do. He don't want us to have to come and repent of sins every day. He wants us to walk holy with no sin. Some people say, you know, you can't not sin. You remember, the Scripture says if you say you have no sin in you, you're a liar. Well, sure. How many of you have sinned in the past? All of us. When we got saved, how many of those sins were washed away? All. Now, if we don't sin again, how much sin is in us? None. He cleaned us up. Now, unfortunately, we sin. When we do sin, this will clean us again. It's like the spots on the dress. I mean, she's wearing that beautiful dress and you got the spots on it. But she took it all, put on something else and sent it to the cleaners. And when she got it back, she looked at it, examined it and thought, okay, they did a good job. I know my honey bunny, she gets a little spot on something. She takes it to the cleaners. Man, she knows where that spot was. When she gets it, but she takes it and she says they did a good job. Or they didn't quite get it all out. She takes it back and she wants it cleaned again. Can you imagine? Hey, that's the way we ought to be with our life, right? We repent of our sin. Lord, I'm not washed in the blood. I'm clean and pure. I don't want not one single spot in my body nowhere. I want to be clean and pure and holy before you. Because I want my prayers answered. And when you're like that, He answers your prayer. Now, when you repent of every sin and you drink this juice, it'll wash away every sin. It'll clean you up and purify you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we confess every sin, known and unknown. Lord, we forgive everybody. We want to walk holy in your presence. We want you to cleanse and purify us by your blood. And we thank you for this blood. In Jesus' name, amen.